Now that you have packed away the Christmas ornaments and Christmas for the season, it's time for some contemplation. Those Christmas are from the 80s. They're made of styrofoam. The glitter has dropped off and they're being held together with toothpicks. Don't celebrate another Christmas hearkening back to the age of glitter balls. See Ad Crusom's beautifully designed Christmons together with our book describing how they fit into the church here. Visit adcrusom.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. And today we have a conversation with a creative. Another yes. one. This is two in a row, but you know what? That's okay. I'm cool with it. Because we've had two fantastic ladies in the Ladies Lounge with us. This means we have another guest with us today, probably a guest that many of you are familiar with. And I'm super excited to have her in the lounge with us today, Erin. Take it away. Who do we have with us? Today, we have Katie Schuerman. Yay! Yes. I specifically asked how to pronounce her last name, (laughs) and I think I nailed it. You nailed it, sister. Nailed it. You nailed it. (laughs) Hashtag nailed it. (laughs) Yes. And Katie is here with us today. Katie is someone that I have only ever heard about and read I've I've read her thoughts, but I have never I've never met her. And so I'm really excited to be chatting today with her. Katie, you are primarily a writer is what I know your creativity. That's where I know it from. But I hear that you actually have have more than just writing as a creative pursuit. So I'd like to start by hearing you hearing your thoughts about the different ways you explore creativity. Well, it's nice to meet you, Aaron. <laughs> How do you pronounce your last name? Mine is pretty straightforward. It's Alter. All right. <laughs> so creativity to me, I think, has just always been a part of my upbringing. My father was a mechanical design engineer for Caterpillar. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom until I was about in junior high. She went back and finished her collegiate education and ended up being my English teacher in high school. Nice. Yeah. And I am the youngest of three daughters, which I think is a perfect position for being creative because you spend your life watching other people older than you and listening to them. You're absorbing all kinds Mm -hmm. of stimuli Mm -hmm. and it comes out in various ways. (laughs) Right. Yes. There's children. Yes. (laughs) I think most of my creative time in my 43 years of life to this date has been making music, actually. Mm. Yeah, that's what I went to school for. Got my undergraduate degree in vocal pedagogy, which is the kind of the science of teaching people to sing and taught for many years at a music school. In St. Louis is where I had my first full-time teaching job. And then I taught at different colleges and universities around the Midwest. So my graduate degrees are in choral conducting and then also in music history and literature. And so most of my time being creative has been spent at a piano or 
and in front of a mic microphone i almost said microwave also a lot of times but in front of a microwave hashtag relatable right not being creative but letting letting that machine create a few things for me um uh and then i only i think around the time when i was in my 30s did writing in earnest insofar as like publications kind of became a part of our life and i say our because you know any job you have your whole family takes it on. So, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <It's true>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I think I could say most of my creative time actually is spent uh, making music, singing, and being at the piano. Uh, in the last couple of years, it's been sitting at the organ, which is new to me. Oh, very cool. COVID, of course, we all have our COVID stories. Uh, mm. Mine is that we, my husband is a pastor at University Lutheran Church on the campus of the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. And the tradition at UNILU, as we finally call it, is name. to have a variety of organists who who sub, who come in on rotation. And of course, living in Illinois when the state mandates hit, it wasn't oh. okay to mix communities like that. So my, my dear husband looked at me and he said, could you? <laughs> and I said, oh my, um, that was Holy Week of 2020. Uh, yes, I did play the piano for a few months before I actually did a service hmm. on the pipe organ. And that was in July of 2020. And so about a year and a half I've been playing. Although this year I am just a sub organist because we have a student who is a full-time organ major and oh, is our organist nice. at the church. So, yeah. So, but that, awesome. um, I did not write very much that year because I, <laughs> my, my hours of creativity were literally sucked out of me by the bellows. And so, <laughs> of the organ. But I'm going to be <laughs> honest with you. So, my, this is Brie, by the way. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Brie. <laughs> What's up? My husband is in his vicarage year currently. And I just have to say that as a pastor's wife in the future, if he's ever like, do you want to learn the organ because of a <laughs> pandemic? <laughs> I, I even then would not graciously respond as you did with the, oh my, like I'd probably use two <laughs> different words. <laughs> so, kudos to you, ma'am, because I, nope. Uh, well, all glory to the Lord. There was Amen. much crying. Amen. There was much praying. There still is much praying. When mm -hmm. I sit down on that bench of a Sunday morning, this is the thing. So, you know, when you are a music major, you spend years, decades of your life applying yourself to a specific instrument or, mm -hmm. a, you know, a specific performance art. And so one thing learning the organ taught me is that I've been singing a long time because I realized that when I am in a high stress performance situation with singing, my body knows what to do. It knows mm -hmm. how to focus. I don't even yeah, notice nice. it doing it anymore. And the reason I know that is because it does not do that on the organ. <laughs> um, when that stress hits me, I mean, I, I, I almost start to cry. Probably borderline panic attack the very first Sunday. Definitely spiritual attack. Wow, that was real. And all you can do is literally you're staring at the music and just praying, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. And he does. But I think as a singer, there is just some muscle memory that would kick in. There's some mm -hmm. discipline of the body and of the psyche that kicks in. There's some, you know, probably neuropathways my brain automatically goes on, but that is not the case with the organ. I've had to start as if I'm in fifth grade again 
and mm-hmm. try to train not just my my body and my you know my musicianship, but also the part of my brain that handles stress. It's a whole new mm-hmm. game, and yeah. it's been so humiliating. <laughs> <laughs> we have a wonderful congregation and every Sunday I feel like they're my therapist <laughs> just like you were fine it was okay we kept singing and I'm like I'm so sorry <laughs> this is so embarrassing they're like you're fine <laughs> so that's that's been my most recent creative misadventure so I love that you brought out the fact that any kind of creative outlet tends to drain you in a different way than other kinds of work do. And you mentioned that you've done very you haven't done that much writing during this season in which you've been trying to semi master the organ. And <laughs> good job that it is such a different instrument from the piano. I think my husband asked me something similar once and I said, I'll play the piano for as long as you like, but, <laughs> but so my question is, how do you sort of negotiate that that limited amount of creative energy that you have and dole it out to yourself for the projects that you want to spend it on? I, I've definitely learned over time through crises mm-hmm. <laughs> I, where my limitations are. A couple of memories really stick out in my mind. One is I was backstage doing a show. It was a, a kind of a variety show, theatrical musical theater thing. And I was backstage, you know, full makeup, in gown, mic'd up. And it was a big theater. I think it was a theater that could seat 1,500. Um, wow. And I just was really upset. I was really stressed. I mean, my heart rate was going. And any time you have to perform anything, your adrenaline, you want it to work for you, but it works against you for the most part. <laughs> but when you're a singer, the adrenaline is coursing through the very blood that will take oxygen to your muscles that will equip (laughs) your singing. And so it is, it becomes a quick mental battle because you have to work through the hell that your body's putting you through. And by hell, I mean like, if you want to hold a long note that is sung very high, good (laughs) luck when your heart is racing as if you're running Mm -hmm. down the street. Uh And so um, you learn to pray. The Lord always teaches us to pray. But then you also learn different things to try to combat what's chemically going on in your body. And so, you know, like you learn to lift your arms away from your body. It's the most unnatural thing to do, but you want to slow that heart rate down. You want to take deep breaths. You want to basically burn the adrenaline and you want to try to get your brain to think about the things it can control in the three minutes you have before you walk on stage. But Hmm. but the stress for me was that while I was doing that, it was also a spiritual attack. Or maybe that's not the right way to say it. I think it was a spiritual comeuppance is what it was. (laughs) I was I was realizing what a prideful, despicable, gross, miserable human being I was because I I was so concerned about my pride and my reputation. And that was the crisis I was having is that what if I go out there and botch it in front of this whole audience who's going to have phones, you know, videoing me <laughs> and then putting it all over the Internet? And it was such a crisis of like, wow, I really care about myself, don't I? And that was a moment where I realized this is not worth it. Mm-hmm. What it's doing to my body mm-hmm. is not the experience is not pleasurable enough to warrant this But then beyond that, it was a, I can't keep doing this if it is all about me. 
And so in that in that moment, I learned this has to be about something more than just myself or it is not worth it. Mm-hmm. And I that began my pretty typical prayer before I do anything that is performy, as I like to call it. <laughs> and that prayer is this. I'll just share it with you. <laughs> Lord Jesus, forgive me for my pride. I think way too much about myself. Please forgive me and help me to realize what a gift it is to do this and what a gift you are giving me and that it should be an enjoyable experience because it is the culmination of a lot of work. Lord, help me to remember the goodness of your gifts and help me to bring glory to your name and to serve my neighbor. Amen. And then it just, I ask forgiveness. (laughs) And then I really do try to uh, focus on what a what a blessing it is to do. Not everybody gets to do fill in the blank because the mm-hmm. Lord gives good gifts to specific people. And and we all are those people who get specific gifts from him that we then get to share for the benefits of the body of Christ and to the glory of his name. So that was one memory. Another memory was, I think it was around 2014 or so. And I was indeed writing in earnest at that point. I had finished House of Living Stones and my publisher really wanted The Choir Mortal to come out in about six months after that. Um, yeah, it was too fast. That's but tight. I, I was... J.K. Rowling couldn't do that. Right. That's <laughs> Yeah, definitely things have to be sacrificed in that situation, whether it's the quality, <laughs> the quantity, or your health. And I was choosing to sacrifice my health rather than the other two. Because at the same time, in order to do that, I had scheduled my presentation travel schedule to fit my writing schedule. But with that pushed up deadline, they would coincide. Mm. And when you're writing fiction, well, I'm sure the experience is different for every author. But for me, writing nonfiction, it is not a problem for me to do other things at the same time. I think it's because when you're writing nonfiction, you're writing true, real things. It's not unlike being a reporter, you're you're taking stimulation that that's outside of you and trying to communicate very clearly about it, interpret it for the reader. That mm-hmm. does not require the same brain space for me. It's not because it's easier or that one is harder. It's just that I could probably still travel, give a presentation, then come back to my hotel room and go right into the headspace I need to communicate that mm-hmm. truth. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. creative writing, to stop writing and to go into a different headspace to go perform and do something else, when I come back to the writing, it's like starting all over again. Mm-hmm. And that is a very laborious, shoot yourself in the foot mm-hmm. way of writing a very long story. You can lose track of so much. And so um, I chose to do those at the same time and learned, I, I got shingles at that time. Oh. Right? Of stress. Oh yeah. I I will these I remember putting on a shirt one morning and like I thought there must have been a spider in my shirt or something because I felt like a something on my like a bite on my back. I now know that was nerve flare. And I had my husband look at it. He's like, Yeah, there's like, yeah, I think I think you did get a bite. There's like a little bubble of something there. And then I, I think it was two days later, I tried to look at it in the mirror and I was like, that's a spider with a very wide mouth and weird teeth. Because <laughs> there are like 13 bubbles and they're spread out and and then they scabbed. And I remember 
I was driving the car and my husband was in the passenger seat and we were driving to take my goddaughter out for her baptism birthday. And I just said, huh, sweetheart, would you Google shingles images for me? And he's like, what? (laughs) And he, I knew I had it when he went, oh, Ah. So next day I went to the doctor and this is the doctor's response. She looked at it. She goes, oh, honey, are you stressed? Because I said, I said, do people my age get shingles? She said, they can. You do. (laughs) And I have found that the Lord in his mercy, when I am ignoring my like bio responses that kick in to tell you too much because this is a problem too when you become when you are trained to be a performer you train your body you train your brain not to feel those things yes yep. mm-hmm. yeah and so i'm sometimes not very good at at uh catching when it's too much mm-hmm. i'm getting better i'm much better now but i the lord i feel like always gives me something that shows me <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's too much and so those two things i think one realizing the spiritual like battle of my pride and the navel gazing I can get into so quickly that it's just mm-hmm. gross and I, I just loathe it and it's disgusting. I'm thankful that he helped me realize that that's a poor life if I, if everything that's created is about coming back to myself. Um, so mm-hmm. I, he kind of saved me from myself. It's a continual battle, but, um, but then the second thing was just realizing there are physical limitations. And just because this is a youngest child thing, right? Just because somebody tells you to do something doesn't mean you should. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so that so Rachel kind of that's that is to me kind of where I'm at often when I'm trying to think through, is this a good fit to do? And I'm learning that if I say yes to something, something else must go. I must say yes. no. And this is why I think being a Christian too is super helpful because our Lord, you know, he does not abandon us ever. But even in just these, you know, life questions of how should I spend my time, he gives us so much feedback in his word of like, well, I can immediately ask, does it take me away from my husband? Hmm. Then I probably should say no. Mm-hmm. Or I should at least talk to my husband and see what he thinks about it. And so there are these vocational check marks that also help me realize when to say yes and when to say no. And I do not always get it right. But I'm getting, I am getting better. I'm thankful to say. (laughs) I can relate to that completely. I have to tell myself and my children, you can do maybe not anything, but you can do many things, but you cannot do everything. Right. Choices have to be made. And and then not, then you can't feel bad about it. Yeah. That's all you can do. Yeah. I think it was Pastor Todd Peppercorn. I was out in California at his church leading a retreat and we were sitting talking and he was, didn't realize he was changing my life when he said this, but he, <laughs> he said, you know, every time you say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. But the mm-hmm. flip side is true. When you say no to something, it's so you can say yes to something else. Uh, right. Okay. And Thank he you, likes Pastor to, Peppercorn. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so helpful to me. He said he actually even likes to keep track of his yeses and nos so huh. that he can see on paper that balance. Huh. Yeah. So it kind of like preaches to him, you know, like that was a good decision, you know, kind of thing. I like that. Let's talk about because I I love writing and reading and everybody here knows that. Let's talk about (laughs) fiction and nonfiction because you are one of the few people I know who has written both. Now, I don't write fiction for the very reason that you said. I I wish I wrote (laughs) fiction, but 
you know, you write nonfiction, you can write an outline one morning and then you can come back the next and you can tackle points A through C on your outline, take a break, go to lunch, come back and pick up where you left off. Fiction, you got to pack up your imagination, go live in a place in like 10 different people's lives and then tell people what's going on. And, and, And you can't, it's not as simple as clicking in and out. Like if I actually sit down to write fiction, it's four hours later and my kids are going, mom, we're hungry. Um, (laughs) And it just is not something, it's something I have to say no to right now. You, however, have written fiction in in the Bradbury series, but also nonfiction books like He Remembers the Baron. And you did Pew Sisters, right? Yes, Pew Sisters. Mm -hmm. Which do you like better and and why and how on earth do you do both? (laughs) Well, I have to say this, Rachel. I think one difference is, you know, our Lord has given you the gifts of children. Yes. And that's one of those vocational checkpoints, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my husband and I are barren. And so I have probably, think of me as like a grandma or somebody who is in that season of life where the kids are out of the house. I have a little mm-hmm. bit more freedom to enter into those like four hour long writing sessions. So that's yes. part of it. And I hope someday that season is coming for you. <laughs> I hope so I like, too. Although I gotta say, I'll be sad when they're all gone. <laughs> yeah, wait, I know the Lord. He, he, I just he does order our lives, doesn't he? He does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. Well, the reason I've done both is because it's just the path that I've been on, and that I think the I think it's the good works the Lord has prepared for me to do some of them. And so the reason it's interesting. I had a um, a publisher ask me this once with a particular publishing house. He said, "Why why do you do both?" <laughs> That's not like because he was actually or she was encouraging me to just do fiction. And I the best response I could give is, you know, I'm actually a member of a very small synod. And so there's opportunity for me to do both, first of all. Hmm. But second of all, the nonfiction opportunities have just kind of come about in our lives based off of where we've lived, who we've been with and our experiences and and people asking for such things. And probably the most experience I have in writing, of course, is expository writing, just, you know, by nature, grads, graduate school and mm-hmm. journalism. Yeah. So those opportunities came about because they were offered to me. The fiction opportunity I asked for. Mm. Um, <laughs> and it is partly because I just think that's who I am. I am a musician, but the the practice, the discipline of applying yourself to a piece of music that is beyond your capability, that that looking at something and going, I'm going to go for it, I'm going to try it, but I know I'm going to have to rehearse this piece for three, two to three hours a day for the next three months, and I might have it ready by the time I need to do it in front of people. That is just a pattern of my life, and it's a rhythm I'm actually comfortable with, and even in some ways, I excited about. I think it's a habit in my life. So when it came time to write a fiction book, it's the same discipline. I mean, who can write a book? I can't write a book. I can't write a fiction book. I don't know how to make people laugh. I don't know how to make people cry. I don't, how do you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But you go, I'm going to try it. And I know that if I, if I just do the math, if I want to finish it in a year, if there are 365 days, you know, you just start, you set these small goals. And you, it's just like that piece of music. I can't sing that melisma at that speed in that range. But after three months, I can. It's the same with the fiction. By sitting down and applying myself to a disciplined habit of writing, not only does my body learn how to sit for that long at a laptop, 
Uh, <laughs> but also my brain starts to want to do that work. And my subconscious then like kicks in. And, and actually, that's the hard part of stopping is that you train your subconscious to stop thinking about it because it will it will chew on it while you're sleeping. It'll chew on it while you're showering. It'll chew on it while you're writing and while you're not writing. But that brain space, that momentum is so important for me for finishing that kind of creative work. And the longer I can keep all of the details of the book in mind, the more fruitful that non-writing time is. Mm -hmm. My brain can feast on that and it will just start coming up with the things that I think are special. <laughs> Usually the special things don't come from my labor. The special things come after I've labored and then they just pop into your head at a certain mm -hmm. point. And, and, and honestly, I do believe those are gifts from God. I do believe he is giving me the thing I need when I need it to do the task that is before me. Mm -hmm. And I can get really wrapped up in myself. Oh, this needs to be really good. Everybody's going to read it and everybody's watching. Or I could just acknowledge the fact that I'm going to try it, Lord. And if this can serve people, help me do it. And he does. He does. And I pray. I pray these books serve Christ and his church. I, I have some aspirations to write some books that aren't about Christianity. But I'll be honest with you. I don't have aspirations to write books that aren't about Christianity. Like, I like the idea of that, but every time I sit down to write, I don't, uh, they're not, I'm, I'm not interested in dwelling for months and months on things that don't matter. Mm. Um, yes, exactly. And that's the other part with fiction. You you are pretending for a very long time. Um, and <laughs> very it, long make-believe. <laughs> very long make-believe. And it helps ground me if that make-believe is for good. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you mentioned just now I've I've heard the theme of discipline coming up again and again and again. Mm. And as I think about the other people that we've talked with with the the conversations with creatives sort of series, I feel like that is a, a common thread, the mm. discipline of it. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, I don't know, when I think about creativity, typically Discipline is not something that is that comes to mind. And I don't know if that's just a, a cultural thing or if it's because when you move creativity to the level that it is your vocation or it is directly connected in with your vocation, that's when discipline comes in. I don't know. But it was interesting hearing you talk about that. And I don't know if you have any other thoughts on how discipline does connect in with creativity. I can describe how it feels. Hmm. From like from where I sit to begin a book, there is this energy of excitement. Oh, I'd love to do that. Oh, that's not, there is probably that thing we all relate to. Of, oh, that sounds fun. I, yeah, I would really love to do that, you know. Or, you know, the child who's six, I really want to learn to play the piano, mom, right? I really do. And then three weeks into it, the child goes, This is, this is terrible. This is, I have to sit and I have to, I don't know how to do this. I don't want to do it. I don't, but my hands won't go that way. And I don't know what that music means. You know, there's all those things, right? Why are you making fun of me? <laughs> oh, and most importantly, it's been three weeks. Why don't I sound like you yet? Right, right, right. Where's the, where's the romance in all of this? But the same thing is true, you know, for starting a book. There is the excitement of like, that just sounds romantic. Right. To be a writer, mm -hmm. to to go off to Maine for a whole year at the cottage that overlooks the lake, you know, like all these things that I guess I don't know that they do in the I movies. Know the very one you speak of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I still want um, to go there. He is not a member of a small synod. 
<laughs> but there, there is that. And, and that does stick with you. There are, there are little mountaintop moments through the whole long marathon where you realize, I do love this. This is, oh, that's great, you know. But that's, I would say, 5% of the experience. The other 95% is, oh, I did not get enough sleep last night. That storm woke me up, but I got, but I, oh, I got, I got to write. Oh, but my back hurts. I've got shingles, but I, you know, (laughs) all these, you know, I'm a lady and I've got lady things going on (laughs) or, you know, or there's family trouble or there's, you know, church stress, all these things that want to occupy your brain and your heart. But what gets the book done is not writing only when I feel like it. What gets the book done is me sitting down and applying myself to the story. And amazingly, amazingly, it ends up being completed at some point, one word at a time. Every word written is one less word I have to write. Every page written is one less page I have to write. And so I know that the only way that happens is by sitting down and doing it. But the other side of it, the other part that I can describe is that, so that doesn't mean that everything I write is good or worth publication. Mm -hmm. And so there is also that reality that I have to put things on the page, period. (laughs) But I also recognize that God has given me a certain skill set and that skill set seems to be have you know some ability to write something that is interesting or entertaining to read and so while i'm working i'm also applying my gifts to what i'm doing and so in that craft that i'm applying uh, there's also great satisfaction as an artist in that regard so while there's just the discipline work the time on my patukas you know like writing up the laptop, but then there's also that, but I need to apply myself. This isn't just wasted time. I need to apply myself. And then I also have those little mountaintop experiences. And every writer is different. But for me, I do write from page one all the way to the end. I do not, I rarely skip around in a story because the thing that is really important to me is the meter of a story. And the way I can get the meter right is if I piece it together from the beginning all the way to the end. There are other ways to do it. It's just that usually the way you do it is the way you've done it. (laughs) And when it works, just do it again. (laughs) And so that's another reason I don't like to be interrupted too much is because then I lose everything that came before. I usually have to go back and read it all over again. And once you have done that three times, it's too many you lose the magic, you lose the energy, you lose the interest. Mm-hmm. And that is usually when I will ask somebody to read it to me. Mm-hmm. Because then I see it afresh through them. They have not encountered the material yet. And I can care about it again suddenly because I'm in that in the moment with them again. It's not that I know what's going to happen now. I can see, is it working? Do they like it or do they not? And that helps me get back into it. And then some of that romantic energy happens again of like, oh, that's right. I do like this story. Oh, I do like where it's going or, you know, like, oh, I, I can change that. I can do that. I can, you know. So, but the people who write books are simply the people who do it. And then the people who write good books are the people who do it and apply their gifts. 
You can have both situations. <laughs> well, I have a question because yes. obviously I'm not a career writer. Like that's not really my vocation, but, and I've talked about this on episode past. I kind of have this like ball of growing creative <laughs> potential energy in my gut. Yes, she yes. does. And like, I love painting and like creating and writing. And I feel like one way to like, realize that potential energy is writing so for somebody who kind of does it as a hobby like if you say just sit down and do it i mean sister i love that approach but that's not going to do it for me (laughs) what else what other advice could you give to somebody who kind of kind of just wants to do it on the side but how else might you find motivation in your experience or maybe even your interactions with other authors absolutely okay so this is that craft side of it I'm talking about. Okay. There's this the actual like physical decision to do it and putting in the hours. I, I let me let me use this analogy. All kinds of people run marathons, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who like tiptoe trot the marathon. You know, <laughs> they lift their knees <laughs> up. You know, <laughs> that's their run. You have those who race, right? Mm-hmm. To race. You, you must have a certain, you know, physical ability. Mm-hmm. You must have trained a certain amount so that you can not only do it, but handle whatever crises come your way, right? You also need some experience. You need to know your body, all these things. So right. the writer who has, is applying a craft to it is not just going to sit down and write, but they're going to apply all that they know to their writing. So here's some advice I can give. If you, so that ball of energy you're describing Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, that's good. That is good. And I think yeah. you should do it. I think you should. Can I have um, some of your ball of energy? Yeah, <laughs> come get it. <laughs> that makes me think of cheese balls. I don't know why, but cheese balls are delicious. It is a cheese ball. It's a giant cheese ball in my gut. <laughs> I, oh, man, I just had a visual of like a doctor being like, Mrs. Grzewski, your x-rays are here. And he puts them up on the x-ray wall and there's a giant cheese ball in my gut. Uh, it's my creative energy circle. cheese ball. Oh, right. it's, my, doctor, it's my creative energy. <laughs> I think that's how I express creativity is I come up with these ridiculous Please make scenarios. Mm. Please make a painting of that. I want a Brie-inspired painting of your ball of energy <laughs> in your gut. Please. <laughs> What you should do is you should make a little painting and put it in your writing space. It could remind you to focus, mm-hmm. yes. you, you know, keep the cheese ball, preserve the cheese ball, uh-huh. keep, <laughs> keep the cheese ball alive. Yeah. Okay. But when it comes to the, like the, the, the craft, the application of it, I'm going to, I'm going to strip away all mystery here. <laughs> Good. Don't watch any television. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What about Take social media that? off your phone. Uh-huh. What Take about social media off your phone? Like those, whatever at night your flesh is craving to do that keeps you from being creative, it's time to start developing a habit of denying yourself. Okay. Oh boy. Because that that's the task. That's the task. Is will you work? Will you work? And so the answer to that is maybe. (laughs) Um, And so you got to know yourself. For me, it's we do not have a television in our house. Hmm. Okay. We rarely watch movies, partly because at this point I've been writing long enough that I don't appreciate the movies as much anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, there's just and not I don't mean that in a snobby way. I just mean that in a trash in, trash out. Yeah. yeah. Put a book by your bed that's 
better than you and read it. Okay. A nonfiction and a fiction. In fact, okay, grab or check out from the library or buy. I actually encourage you to buy. Buy Elizabeth von Arnhem's The Enchanted April. Okay. Ooh, Ooh I've it not is a read fiction that. Book. I've seen the movie, though. The movie is excellent. Oh, and the book and the movie are very similar. So you, if you like oh, the movie, you'll love the book. Yeah, you read now, the, her, you, you watch the movie and you think, I bet this is really close to the book. Yeah, <laughs> you can tell, can't you? Yeah, yeah. you really can. Um, her writing is exquisitely delicious. It is just her imagery, especially for ladies. It's a lady book. It's about ladies. And she has just enough cheek, right? And just enough sincerity. And her modifiers are not, they're, they're not too many and not too few. They're perfect. Let that elevate the the meter and structure of the sentences that you think and say throughout the day. Okay. Get a fiction book that's better than all of us. Okay. Then get a nonfiction book that is insightful and well written and has perfect grammar. Okay. Anything by John Kleinig is wonderful. Okay. I <gasps> yes. uh, get a get some Wendell Berry essays and just start digesting them. I it's love not him. really so much about if you super appreciate the content, though that's helpful, you're gonna again, you you want you want good nourishment for your brain. Okay. Sure. Then deny yourself. Deny yourself the things that don't matter, the things that take up your time that that melt your cheese ball. Okay. Like, <laughs> you you want to keep the right refrigeration of that cheese ball and anything that's mindless is just gonna suck away your creative energy. Suck away the cheese. Yeah. (laughs) Stir the cheese. (laughs) And then I want you for three weeks in a row, just commit to it. Think of it as a training session. And then at the end of three weeks, we can assess. Okay. But for three weeks, no matter how you feel, no matter what time of the month it is, no matter (laughs) who lives in your home and does not abide by you, (laughs) um, I want you to pick 45 minutes every day that you can sit and try to write starting at the same time every day. If that's after kids go to bed, great. If it's right before supper, great. But I want it. I want you to start at the same time every day. Okay. If for you can weeks. make it for three weeks. And if okay. you can make it at a time where if you wrote longer, you could, that would be good. Okay. But the important thing is I want you to start at the same time every day. Okay. And I want you to muscle through those really awful 45 minutes where you just don't feel like it. You know, you're, you're pushing the same paragraph around the whole time and just do it anyway and then come back to it the next day. And what you're doing is, I, I believe, when you are training your body and your brain to do a particular task, you're going to get better at it. Mm-hmm. And not only are you going to get better at it, but your creative brain, your subconscious is going to start kicking in. It's going to be like, oh, we're doing this? Are we really? Okay. Okay. And then about three weeks into it, maybe earlier, you might be better in shape than I am. <laughs> Um, maybe earlier, you're going to start having things happen to you through the day like, oh, I should do this with that. Or, oh, no, oh what if this happened? And you need to have a notebook, okay. something with you all the time and write those things down. Okay. And bring them to your session that you're going to sit down and write and have fun with it. And I would recommend for these first three, three weeks, don't do very much planning okay. of your writing. Brain dump instead. Write the thing that is fun for you. Okay. Okay. Why don't you tell the story of, of you okay. and do it in the voice that is you, that brings you pleasure, okay? And just like, okay. just do that, okay? And if you have funny times, great. If you have sad times, great. If you have, you know, but, but apply yourself. And then after three weeks, we should assess and you're going to go, is this worth my time? Hmm. 
And if it okay. is, keep doing it and expand the hours if you can. <laughs> and yeah, at that point, I would say if you decide you do want to do it, you probably can have a little inkling of an idea of what it is you can say of what it is you want to share. Because that's the other thing. In order to do that, you have to have something to talk about. And usually in the trial period, you're figuring out what you have nothing to say about, right? <laughs> or what you have something to say about. That's probably how my nonfiction books came about, is I realized there's I there's something to say here and I'm not finding it being said anywhere else. Mm, yeah. And so in fiction, it's it's the same thing. You can put in your fiction things that you are not finding being talked about anywhere else that you want talked about, but you get to create the world for that. Find something that interests you and write. And then when you're ready, show it to me. Like you <laughs> specifically? To me. And Do I'll tell you. We're going to workshop the next great American novel. This is great. <laughs> yes. Although I really want you to write a children's book about a girl who has this burning desire cheese ball wanting to do something <laughs> and her journey into actually doing the thing because I, I like can see That's the illustrations meta. in my head. Right now. Illustrate it? Yes. We're going to do it. I, have, I want to write a kid's book one day. I have several ideas, but the let's make this happen. Yes. Wait, you guys need to do this. You write the book and she illust and Sarah illustrates it and then you switch and Sarah writes and Bree <gasps> illustrates. Yes! You're yes. a power duo. Let's do uh -huh. it. Inspired by Katie it. Sherman. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> Katie, I, even though I, I don't, I don't know, I don't have a great desire to be an author other than maybe writing a few kids books. But, but I, I resonate with what you're saying with creativity and discipline and this process of, of if you want to do something, you have to put the work in to do the thing. And that, that relates to all kinds of creative pursuits, no matter what it is. Like if you want to start a garden and that's your thing, like you have to put the work in for that and you mm -hmm. have to dedicate yourself to that task. Or exactly. if you want to, I have a latch hook rug that I've been meaning to make for the last 10 years of my life and I haven't done it yet, but that's because I haven't actually put the work in <laughs> or, or <laughs> taken that time to have that time every day that I do the thing and I and I let go of all these other things that are distracting me. So that advice, even if even if it's not writing, that advice is is golden for anything that you want to accomplish. You just you have to put the work in and and kind of trust the process. Absolutely. Because you know, it's, it's risky, right? You don't really know what's going to end up good at the end. But mm -hmm. you're, you know, therefore, it has to be about more than just that. And you need it to not pull you away from the things God has given you to do, right? Because mm -hmm. then that that gets yeah. messy, yes. too. And, and also, too, creativity can be seasonal. Mm -hmm. You know, you yeah. can have seasons of it. Certainly writing a book is a particular season of creativity, you know, practicing and working on a Bach cantata. That's a whole nother <laughs> seasonal. But honestly, this is part of knowing myself. Part of why I did not write during COVID, right, is because I knew the creatively my brain was going to be occupied by the organ. But the other thing was, is we had moved. Mm -hmm. Arranging my home is a creative thing. Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Right? And that's the task that was ahead of me. And that meant denying myself the writing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I talk about denying yourself the television, but in this case, it was I needed to deny myself the writing of a book because uh, there was something else that needed my creative my creativity uh, mm. but to keep my brain in shape i practiced writing i collaborated with cantor tim shoemaker in dallas texas on some hymns yeah. together because then you're you're still you know employing and keeping that that skill alive but that's not quite the time commitment of a novel and so mm. that's another craft thing it's okay to take on smaller projects 
it's mm-hmm. okay to write an article here or, you know, a short story here or a book here. But I, again, this is where I think being in Christ is super helpful. We don't do these things on our own. We have people mm-hmm. in our family and in our church who love us and give us good advice about what kind of season we're in. And our Lord, you know, shapes us by his spirit into a knowing of uh, our conscience helps helps guide us on like, you know what, it would be really selfish of me if I did this right now instead of, you know, taking care of these people. And so I think that's one of the things that I th- find comforting in being a Christian who writes is that it's okay sometimes to say, not now. And it's also okay to say, now, Lord, help me be disciplined, right? <laughs> <laughs> you said something that I want to use as a clever segue. You said, <laughs> it's sometimes it's okay to just write a short story. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. smooth. Uh-huh. smooth. We need to talk short <laughs> stories because I got a burning email in my inbox a couple months ago from Pastor Roy Askins <laughs> at the Lutheran Witness who says, you have to get in touch with Katie Shorman and have her tell you all about what's happening with Bradbury and the Lutheran Witness. And I want to hear it straight from you because I think you'll say it better than he did. No offense, <laughs> Pastor Askins. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I can I say, Rachel, you and I kind of talked about this at one point we anyway. We did. And one of yeah. my great regrets is that it never happened under my tenure. <laughs> I, you know, I'm sad about that, too. But maybe we'll get to work together in another so way. so much fun. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, well, OK, so, yes, my fiction books are a little trilogy, little trilogy. I feel like you have to over-articulate the T, a little trilogy um, (laughs) about church life, specifically in a small congregation, a small LCMS congregation in a small town in Illinois. And particularly the point of view of the balcony of the musicians in the church. And I did not want to write more than a trilogy with this particular cast of characters, just because like that cheese ball in me, I wanted to make sure... (laughs) that I didn't melt it with too much attention. (laughs) Honestly, when you're writing about church life, I think there are some, one of the balances is what's appropriate to talk about what's not, what is beneficial, Mm -hmm. what's not, what is best construction, what is not, what's honest, but not hurtful. There's a, there's a balance there of like, we'll kind of say in a, a certain way, trying to not break the eighth commandment while you're writing or cast a shadow over the church. And so I didn't want to write too many books on that particular congregation because I feel like to keep generating plot material, at some point you're digging deeper into people's sin, right? Mm. Or or putting them in situations that become unrealistic. I wanted to be able to walk away from it being pleased with what was written, not walking away and going, I wish I hadn't written that book, you know? (laughs) But I can say that I have deeply missed the people in the fictional town of Bradbury, Illinois, and they have stuck with me. And they continue to stick with me and talk to me sometimes. And I have been, as a writing exercise, I had been, for my subscription list through my website, I'd written a couple of short stories about Bradbury. And they they came so easily. It was such a familiar space and a familiar rhythm and meter that it really blessed me when Reverend Askins contacted me and said, you know, at one point there had been this idea are you interested in continuing some Bradbury stories in The Lutheran Witness? And the timing was perfect. The season was right. I had been practicing that just a little bit for my own fun and therefore felt like I could say, yes, I think that can be done. And so what we're doing is we're continuing the story of this congregation, one short story at a time. Each issue of the print edition of The Lutheran Witness in 2022 will have a new continuing story 
from this fictional little town. And I've chosen, this interests me, <laughs> I've chosen to write about Bradbury in real time. So when the January 2022 issue of The Lutheran Witness comes out, it will be about the people in Bradbury during January of 2022. Oh, Whoa, that's cool. It's okay. fun for me. And it's following the liturgical year. Yes. Of uh, course it is. Of course. Yes. <laughs> that's what interests me. <laughs> that's the power I have. No. <laughs> that's the fun. When you get to be the writer, you do get to control some things. And, and this is part of that craft, too, what we were talking about. You do have to find something you're interested in. Not always. I mean, you can push through, but if you're going to do a long term project, it helps if you have some of that ball of it helps if you have a cheese ball. It really does. <laughs> and so and I had a cheese ball about that. So where this is different than the books is that it's the fun challenge of what if somebody subscribes in March and they yeah. missed January and February? Each story is its own, but they are linked together. But it's the it's a tiny different art form. It must reflect the rhythm and timbre and shape of the Bradbury books because the the fans of the books want that. They want that familiar voice. But a short story is an art form in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And so I'm I'm thinking of it as I'm writing fables from Bradbury. Hmm. And the the characters in these fables are the characters we know and love from the books in the year 2022. And it has, it's been a joy. I'm just about done with the April story. And, and this, the April one has been harder for me to write. Um, some of them are harder. Some of, sometimes I choose, uh, let me, let me put it this way. When you're writing a short story, one of the challenges is you place the record on the record player and the whole album is good, but you don't have time to listen to the whole album. So you have to decide where you're going to drop the needle. Mm. And so a short story writing, that's, that's the fun and that's the, terribly difficult thing is you you really hopefully with the lord's help can drop the needle in the right place over and over again because mm -hmm. there's not time to bring everybody up to speed there's not time to do anything other than tell a really good tale right there mm -hmm. and that's been a real joy for me i i have always been a fan of the short story when i was in high school i got a hold of a, a volume of o henry short stories Oh, they're so good. They're so fun. I mean, I devoured them. I I love them. And I think that has shaped a lot of my creative writing. I love his approach to storytelling. He drops the needle all the time. And he does it so well. And he has these fun twists, you know. And so I'm really grateful for the opportunity to to practice that art form myself. That is so cool. I need to actually get in touch with CPH and update my subscription address since I just moved. Uh, make sure that they that's all sorted out before January. <laughs> Not a lot of time. <laughs> well, it will bless me to know you're reading them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> now I'll be thinking about you. You'll be one of my people. I'll be like, okay, Rachel's reading them. <laughs> oh, good. Good, good. <laughs> How can people find those? You mentioned mm. that it's in the Lutheran Witness, but now we have to put in the plug-in for That's right. who are okay. now interested. Where how, <laughs> how can they actually find these short stories? Well, first, if you've never read the Anthems of Zion series, which is my, my fiction series, it's okay. You should still really enjoy these stories. If you have read the Anthems of Zion series, I think, I think you're going to be delighted about what you read. I pray anyway. But so in that regard, the only place these stories are going to be published and available is the print edition of The Lutheran Witness in 2022. That's the only medium. 
It won't be available online. I won't have them to distribute in any other way. They are only going to be in the print edition of The Lutheran Witness. Mm. So if you do not already have a subscription, what you want to do is go to, I think it's witness.lcms.org slash Bradbury, which is the name of my fictional town. Bradbury is spelled B-R-A-D-B-U-R-Y. Or just, you know, go into your search engine, type in The Lutheran Witness Bradbury. It'll come up. Or go to my Facebook page, Katie Shureman Author, <laughs> and you'll find the links everywhere. Or go to my website, katieshureman.com, click on the books tab, scroll down to the fiction series, and at the bottom of the fiction series, you'll you'll find a link of how to subscribe to the, the print edition of The Lutheran Witness. And when you subscribe, you want to make sure in the notes section of the subscription page, make sure you want them to start your subscription in January. Uh-huh. And we mm-hmm. should we should mention too that those who have not read the Bradbury series can find that information on your website, also on cph.org. Which I have they published all your books or all the ones I've I'm I'm aware of almost. They have published the fiction series and then also Pew Sisters, which is nonfiction, and then through Emmanuel Press, I have He Remembers the Baron and He Restores My Soul. Right, mm-hmm. that was oh that's that's a good one too. Yes, which I also I highly recommend those from Emanuel Press because we've talked with you, Katie, before on the on the coffee hour about those. Highly recommend, but have a box of tissues if you read He Remembers the Baron because it will make you cry. <laughs> oh, Sarah, you are my sister, and I you are one of my favorite people to talk to about those books because you understand. <laughs> it's like you you're speaking to my soul. Ah. <laughs> oh. uh. Well, thanks be to God for the opportunity to, you know, to to tell stories. May I may I share one thing with you that I came across a couple of weeks ago? Well, it was this past month uh, that I thought you all might appreciate as well. You can yes. share anything um, you want. <laughs> do any of you have the the book Geert's daily devotional book through CPH called To Live with Christ? No. I don't think okay. so. Oh, I, um, Ken has a copy, but I haven't read it. It is wonderful. Bo Geertz is one of the great storytellers in Lutheranism. Yes. Uh, he wrote Hammer of God, which which highly influences my own writing. And then there have been some more translations of his fiction works coming out as of late uh, that I highly recommend. But CPH publishes just some of his pastoral writings in the form of a daily devotional. It's called To Live With Christ. And again, it's by Bo, B-O Geertz, G-I-E-R-T-Z. And in the, the little bit of writing he did that was assigned to... Friday after the second Sunday in Advent on that particular day. It's on page 42 if anybody has the book. This little little paragraph came to light. He's expounding on Isaiah chapter 51, verse 6, which is, For the heavens will vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, but my salvation will be forever. And here's what the sainted Reverend Geertz writes. Christ will come again. The Bible speaks mainly in pictures about this day. Pictures can't be read exactly like descriptions in an encyclopedia. They actually say and do much more. They get our imaginations and emotions working. They allow us to visualize things words can hardly express. A child can understand them just as well as a scholar, and we're never done examining them. When I came across that in his writing, I thought, oh, this is, this is why I write. This is why I write. This is why I write fiction. And this is why I write nonfiction, because nonfiction is also storytelling. Sometimes you're telling mm-hmm. somebody else's true story or your own true story or the true story of, of, you know, life on this earth. But when it comes to writing fiction, 
I'm creating word pictures that I hope, that I hope tell something true and that I hope can be accessed by all different generations of people and that I hope will keep speaking in a way that um, when you come back to them, you find something new that you understand about real life. And I, I think that's one of the blessings of a fantasy, you know, fiction or any any kind of made up story is you're you're actually trying to create a picture that helps people think on and understand better reality. And for me, as somebody who likes to write about life in the church, it's the same thing. If I'm writing a story, it's in hope that the story creates a picture that maybe is at the most instructive and exhort, you know, exhorting at the least maybe fun. <laughs> and, you know, a, a diversion. <laughs> but in an effort that it can help maybe refocus all of us and encourage us in our life together in the church. And I, I think that's, I think it's a worthwhile thing to do. You know, use that cheese ball. It's, um, hmm. I think it's, I think it's a worthwhile thing to write something that your neighbor can read that helps reaffirm, oh yes, God created man who fell into sin and God rescued, redeemed, reclaimed, reconciled him again by sacrificing his own son on the cross for our sake. Any story that reaffirms that and points toward that and mirrors that, I think is worthwhile. Amen. Mm. This uh, was lovely. I could, Katie, I can talk to you for like five hours and it's going to feel like 10 minutes. <laughs> I, I love talking it. with you. You guys really, first of all, Thanks for thanks for receiving that email from Roy. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to talk about this stuff. I, I, I could talk with you guys about it forever. And actually, then I would like to ask you questions. So that's, that's the hard part about being interviewed is I want to ask. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll, 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 we'll save that for next time. That would be oh, fantastic. Good. How about I you all of you creative people? <laughs> hey. Do we do we have an episode dropping on April 1st ever? Because that would be super fun. <gasps> Oh, that's hilarious. How the tables have turned. Oh, oh the ladies hilarious. We should just, I, I'm just going to put that on the calendar for April. Because <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. April 1st oh. is a Friday. Oh, we're doing it. We're doing it. <laughs> we are doing that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, oh, my goodness. The ladies get interviewed. Oh, <laughs> what, are, what are you doing in late March, Katie? <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. helping you guys. That's what I'm doing. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's so fun. That'll give us an opportunity to replug the uh, <laughs> very series. Right. So Roy well, will be you, very happy with that. <laughs> you are generous. No need to. I mean, not for that reason. It would just be so fun to hear you guys being interviewed. That would be so fun. Okay. Oh my we'll make it happen. <laughs> I love it. I'm in love with this. Truly, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me and giving me an opportunity to, you know, sit together and share ideas. It encourages me and reminds me that I need to keep at the discipline. So I thank you for the opportunity. (laughs) It's been really wonderful. Mm. Every time I, every time I get to talk with you, there's just like this nugget of wisdom that you just pull out of somewhere and and it oh. just kind of blows my mind a little bit. And well, I'm like, ah. Sarah, mm-hmm. that bless- that's from the Lord then. That is not from the dirty bag that I am. So that must be the Lord. <laughs> Don't call my friend a dirty bag, Katie. <laughs> I mean, you can't smell me right now, but I may not have showered yet today. So. Or can we? Dirty bag full of cheese. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <a> stinky cheese. <laughs> 
Oh, what a delight. I wish we could all be together in person. Thank you. Right. Someday. Someday. Someday we will be in the same place and it will be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Oh, Katie, thank you so much for uh, for having the last hour with us. It has gone by so fast. We could um, easily talk for another hour on well, you uh, bless me. Yes. Thank it you. Was, it was wonderful. So listeners, ladies. Go to witness.lcms.org. Subscribe to the Lutheran Witness. This podcast is dropping in January, which means you're going to want to go do that Jump like on it. now when Except. this podcast is over. So make sure you do that to get your hands on these stories. And you can find Katie Schuerman's other books at cph.org and emmanuelpress.us. So be sure to check those out as well. You can join our group on Facebook to be in the know with all of the things happening in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge. There's giveaways, stickers, talking about food, all those fun things we like to do Mm. in the Facebook group. You can also follow us on Instagram at Lutheran Ladies Lounge. You can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on the KFUO radio app available from either app store or on your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Aaron. I'm calling it right now. This year's Chris Mon 2.0 <gasps> is a cheese ball. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Rachel. <laughs> it goes on and on like a circle. And, it, and it's gold, right? It's gold. Orangey gold? And, and it I just snorted. <laughs> I just snorted. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. And I also shouted, I'm a stinky cheese into a microphone. I've never done that before. So. Yes! <laughs> the lounge does tend to bring out the best in people. <laughs> oh, blessed Advent and Merry Christmas, you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. KFUO Radio and the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast are underwritten in part by Ad Crucem. Visit them online at adcrucem.com. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge.